all, this is where Texas politics gets interesting. Here again are two guys named Jason, some great guests, and cold Texas beer for another smart conversation on Yolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being back with us for another episode of Yolitics. You know, uh, it's always good, Jason, when we are able to talk about, you know, something that's going on in Texas that is adjacent to politics or right in the middle of politics. Yeah, right. And it's good news. Uh, and, and this is a good news podcast uh, because uh, Houston is making some headlines. Uh, and I'll just share the headline right off the top here. Uh, it's from the New York Times. It's from the opinion section. And it uh, says Houston shows how to tackle homelessness. This is a problem, obviously, that uh, you know affects every city, especially major cities. And Houston's doing something right. And, and you know, this podcast is also one of those that really going to feed into which city's better, Houston or Dallas. Now, I know that's been going on forever, and we'll talk about that. But but you know, Wheeler and I both have Houston roots here, uh, even though we live up I forty five. But that that op ed the other day in the New York Times really caught my attention. Houston's doing something right, and it's doing something right with with homelessness. So uh, you know, on the line with us, we want to find out what the city is doing right. On the line with us here, Mike Nichols. He's a CEO of uh mike welcome here first of all let me make sure i get the title right ceo for coalition for the homeless for the last five years thanks for being on the podcast with us here coalition for homeless for houston harris montgomery and fort bend counties that's a lot of that's a lot of yeah (laughs) that's a mouthful (laughs) a lot of people a lot of room we're the lead agency for the continuum of care the way home which is our community's effort to house people experiencing homelessness um, the coalition's been around for about 40 years, um, and the way home has been around for about 12 years. Mm. Uh, p- cities around the nation are having issues around homelessness. It is it has continued to get worse um, with the with the expense of housing. Sure. Well, with the uh, COVID, it continued to get worse, and we in Houston are quite proud of the efforts that have been made as a community to house homeless individuals. Mike, uh, um, since, 20, since 2011, more than 30,000 people experiencing homelessness have been housed in, I mean, in permanent housing. Now, I'd like to take a minute to explain that because sure. people get a little confused. Permanent housing is not just handing somebody a house. It is, and it's not a little home. It is taking a person who's experiencing homelessness and giving them an apartment of their choice with a lock and a key and air conditioning and heating and and, and, um, and cooking area um, to a real place that they can stay in long after they overcome the trauma of homelessness. It is getting some rent subsidy generally through the housing authorities to pay the rent as they go through this transition. And finally, it is having case management, real case management, aid case management, not volunteers, but professionals who help these individuals overcome that trauma of homelessness. Um, the exciting thing about it, so that's 30,000 people since 2011. There are about 9,000 housed tonight um, mm-hmm. in rent housing um, in this, and with this way, not in not a tiny home, not a trailer. This is a place that they can stay long after they overcome the trauma of, of homelessness. 
And that's what's really different about this is that you guys did something that seems obvious on the surface, and that is put homeless people first and foremost before you handle anything else, get a roof over their head first. That seems obvious. Like I said, why aren't other cities doing this? Because it's working for you guys. Other cities are now following your footsteps, but this seems so easy to do. The Los Angeles Times had an op-ed that said, why, what can Los Angeles learn from Houston? And if you think people in Dallas are unhappy about Houston, mm. you used to see people in Los Angeles. <laughs> but what they said is that it was our organization, our pragmatism, and our scale. Uh, so all three of those things. And here's, here's some things that Houston did that, again, Dallas is doing now and other cities have come and they're following in this. The first one we talk about, um, organization. Um, we're a nonprofit. The coalition is a nonprofit, but we're the lead agency. Hmm. This is unique. In LA, they, the, the lead agency sits in the county government and it's all bundled in politics. Mm -hmm. We're as an independent entity. We can stay above the politics. We can get the hmm. county and the city to work together. We can get philanthropy to fill in the gaps hmm. where federal money fails. Mm -hmm. So that's the organizational piece. Um, we get the more than 100 nonprofits who work on homelessness um, working together and not stepping on each other's toes. And we get it focused on housing. And that's a big issue because a lot of people say, no, no, no let's, let's build shelters. New York City spent billions of dollars putting people in hotels, and it's just going to fail. Um, in Vermont, they used all their COVID money to put home, uh, people experiencing homeless in motels. And that when the COVID money is run out, they're out on the street again. Um, so it's a, it, that's, a, that's an issue. The second thing is pragmatism. Big decision was made, Jason, that we would house the most vulnerable, vulnerable people first. And that's the people that's likely to die on the street. So we didn't say we're going to hire, we're going to house the most sober people, the people who are going to be most successful. It was the most vulnerable people. And the reason is a pragmatic reason. That's the pragmatism. Is that it costs between forty and sixty thousand dollars to your taxpayers, my taxpayers in Harris County, yours in Dallas, um, to keep somebody on the street where mm. they can be housed using all federal money, almost all federal money, for about twenty thousand dollars a year. Mike, in talk a little bit about that cost breakdown there, because you know people might hear that and they would go, "What does it cost you if somebody's out there homeless?" Uh, but you see this tremendous uh, cost being paid to emergency rooms uh, because a lot of homeless people show up there sometimes just for shelter on a really cold or really hot night. Uh, you you have incarceration that happens. You have you know policing that has to happen. Uh, so it really is much more expensive when somebody's out on the streets versus put up in an apartment. And, and, I, and I wish, and this, this is a call out to the healthcare community, for them to get accurate numbers of what they spend on emergency health care for people who are experiencing homelessness. Hmm. For them to look deeply at the terms that when they let somebody leave the hospital who's had a serious operation and put them in a cab for one of the shelters. Health care really needs to step forward and think about their role in reducing the health care cost long term. Mm -hmm. And we, the taxpayers, need to look at that because what we know is if, if, the, if we could move dollars from health care to the social determinants of health, housing, nutrition, education, that safety net, we, the taxpayers, would save a huge amount of money. Mm -hmm. um, because this is a, 
the more than the local uh, podcast, and we'll just add to that, the state of Texas is irresponsible in the fact that it does not expand Medicaid. Other states that expand Medicaid have been able to use these Medicaid dollars on these social determinants of health, on case management for these individuals, that reduces the cost. So Texas is throwing out $10 billion because we want to expand Medicaid, and it's wasting the rest of our money who are having to pay our local taxes for health care for these people experiencing homelessness. Mm-hmm. Um, big issue, so that I would come to that's pragmatism. The last is scale. Again, as I said, we've, we've housed 30,000 people in the Houston area, 9,000 housed tonight. Um, the scale is very important. A lot of cities have look at it, and politicians do this too. They, they say, but I see this homeless person here on the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jason, I'm a business guy. And what I've learned in business is you don't have to be 100%. If I was in the airline business, I need to be 100% on flying. On baggage, 95%. <laughs> Customer service, 90%. You know, the food business is the same way. We couldn't get everything every day because the cost would be outrageous. So scale is important. And what we know from this is even housing those vulnerable people, 85% of those people will succeed. That's a big number, and that's good enough. doesn't have to be 100%. 15% of the people have significant problems that they don't succeed. When we decommission an encampment, we go in, and again, 85% of the people say, absolutely, yes, we are coming with you to the house. 15% of the people say no. On the street today in Houston, there's still people who have such severe mental health problems that they don't fit in this at the scale. Mm. But what we've done is we said we're going to house these people at scale. The other 15% we need to work with. We need to demand, again, state government pay more for uh, for mental health. Um, All the talk about mental health in the legislature this year, a few dollars with the mental health in the prison system, none came to the cities. Mm. This This is something that we need to demand, that we need, if you want, if you want to help people who are living on the street who have these severe mental health problems, we need more dollars on that. The housing is there. Mike, you guys are really a case study of how to do this uh, after 12 years of experience. So it, it's fascinating that, that you got the nonprofits together to handle this rather than the city or Harris County to handle it. But I'm curious how you guys are, mm-hmm. homelessness is not a new issue. How did you guys figure out that the first and foremost thing we need to do is just put a roof over these people and then we'll figure out everything else? How did you guys arrive at that? So I apologize. I need to clarify. The county and the city are very important because all the federal money comes through the county and the city. Sure. We only use a very little bit of local money. We wish we had some more, Uh, but it's all federal money. They do come to the county and city, so they're definitely our partners. So the question you ask is how this housing first. Um, first, we looked at the data, and the data was clear. Again, you put people in housing, even the most vulnerable, 85% will be successful. There are people who want to argue this, and it's I've sadly become a political issue. The people in the legislature uh, um, who want to say housing first is a faith, um, and I say I always say, look at the numbers. You know, Give me your data, and our data shows that putting people in housing is successful. One of the things that happened that was just a, you know, learning through experience is when COVID hit, that we got the city and county together and we said, 
what we do for people experiencing homelessness. So we built a, we, we rented a motel for people who had COVID. We had a new shelter that we uh, put up temporarily because the shelters had closed. We had testing sites. And after two months, I said, oh my gosh, this is so much money. Let's just house people. I can do it so much more effectively and cheaply and permanently. Hmm. And that's what we did. So, you know, learning by learning by our own piece, piece of cake, pieces of work. Houston is unique in that we've had two big housing issues. First, when we, when we housed more than 200,000 people from New Orleans after Katrina, we learned a lot. Second, when Harvey hit, we learned a great deal just housing people. And one of the things we learned is work with your landlords. Um, we have a landlord engagement team that goes out and markets to landlords and says to them, you want our program. Yes, it's hard to work with the housing authorities. Yes, our people can be problematic, but here's what you get. You get permanent monthly income hmm. through vouchers. You get a, um, uh, a, a case manager who's there regularly with clients. And you get the landlord engagement folks who, if you have a problem with the client, with the with the tenant, who's one of our tenants, call us. And we will work with you. We will work with them. That you know, and then we see the, and then I use the numbers. What's your success rate with the tenant coming off the street? Eighty-five percent. What's your success rate going to be with us? Eighty-five percent. So, so what you do is you put them in a place uh, first, you get that roof over their head, and then you start to address things like joblessness, hunger, uh, physical and mental health, uh, all of these things that, you know, you might be tempted to try to fix before you put somebody into housing, but you fi figured out through the data that it, it makes it a success to give them that roof first. My question is long-term. Uh, let's say, okay, so you do put someone in, in a home and then all of these nonprofits you work with start to swarm in to try to fix the other things that maybe led to the homelessness. Um, how common is it that someone graduates out of this from any need for any services from you all? So I would say it's very common. Our success rate is, I'll keep going, is 85 to 90%. There are two kinds of housing. One's called rapid rehousing for people who are not disabled. Um, generally, it's a year. Those could go to two years. Um, they get this support, they, and they have this incremental demand on them to have income. Uh, they get work. Um, uh, they get the mental health care. And I would say it's not a swarm of nonprofits. It's very organized. Uh, when someone gets housing, at the same time, they get that case manager they're navigated from the street mm. with that case manager to that housing. So day one, they begin to look at how to solve the problems with food, first food. Um, part of the program is we, you know, we there's furniture there, there's cookware there, there's a box to start off their mm. processes. But then that case manager is there day one with them. Mm. Um, the second part is the people who are disabled. Um, those people may go longer, four years or more. Um, but well, an important thing that goes on is we make sure they begin to get their benefits, which is Social Security disability benefits. So between that and the other part, they can begin having a normal life, mm -hmm. even if they're severely disabled. A lot of, again, the people who are on permanent supportive housing are disabled and have been on the street more than a year. So they are highly vulnerable. Um, and, and, 
And again, it's just the data. It is we we have to keep working at all the time. We have new programs coming in, new income programs coming in, uh, new trading programs all the time. Trying different things. Deeply indebted to the Harris Center, which is Harris County's mental health uh, IDD agency. They work with us closely. It's been a huge change. Shout out to Wayne Young from Fort Worth. Worked in Tarrant County's hospitals. He came to Houston. One person made a difference. That was him. Um, the uh, Harris Center was not interested in homelessness. He got there. He was interested, and everything's changed. Well, give us some numbers here, Mike. Uh, you mentioned two years and four years, depending on where folks are. How long are folks in supportive housing uh, on average? And, and secondly, what's the cost of that, and how does that compare to if they were on the streets? So, again, on average, uh, let, me, let me just do the math a minute. I'd say, you didn't know there was going to be a math quiz, did no, you, Mike? No, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> trying, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to think we have charts all over on this. But I would generally say it's in the uh, probably probably two years because most people in rapid rehousing, it's a smaller number in permanent supportive housing. So I'd say two years. Um, and, and, and so let's, let's just do the math a minute. It's about 20000 a year. So that's $40,000 for that individual. Um, if they were on the street, we don't have the exact number. But it runs between forty and sixty thousand dollars a year nationally because of this health care issue, um, because of the cleanup. Incarceration is about thirty thousand a year, so it's it's clearly to the benefit of the taxpayer. But the other side is it's a permanent. It is a permanent program, and let me add to this. When we think about, a lot of people will say, you know, I see these homeless people. They look like they have mental health. The answer is they go on the street because of economic problems. That's just the, the data is there. Overwhelmingly, it's just economic. It's a loss of a job. It's a divorce. It's a uh, bills too high, evictions. It's just purely economic. And it includes people who never thought they'd end up there. Very much so. Very much so. The second is that, so, so it's economic. But once you're on the street, the longer you're on the more empty you are to have mental health and substance issues. Because I'm, if I was on the street, that would be my answer too. It's just too scary, too hard, too difficult. And so, yes, when people begin it, begin this housing, they may have those issues. But what we found is that first step, that feeling secure, feeling secure, feeling like you're not in danger every moment, that roof over your head is the first step to beginning to solve these human problems. Mental health, and this is an important point I want to make, is a chronic problem. Like diabetes, like high blood pressure, you can't go to the hospital and fix it. We wish you could. We wish you could. Maybe, you know, you can get stabilized. Well, again, we have people who are, go to Harris County Psychiatric and they go to Another program we have that's four or five weeks, you can get stabilized. But to have this problem under control, it's chronic. It takes years of up and down. And um, and living in your home is the only way, only way to begin really solving the problem. 
Mike, let's continue with some numbers here. Um, I, I looked at a collection of statistics here. Correct me if any of these are outdated now, uh, but in, in the dozen or so years that this has been going on in the Houston area, uh, you all have been able to reduce the homeless population by about two thirds of, of, right. from what it was. Uh, there's been a 17% drop over the last year. Is that right? 17% is really even, even interesting. It's about flat over the last year. It is a 17% drop. And people living on the street. Okay, yeah, that's what uh, really because homelessness, by definition, is people living on the street, people living in emergency shelters, people living in transitional shelters. Like if you're in domestic violence shelters or something like that, that's all counts. That's a good distinction there. So, just in the last year, you've seen a seventeen percent decrease, though, of the number of people living on the streets. That seems significant. And and what I've seen is you all have you know uh, some folks in shelters. On any given night, you might have uh, what twelve hundred people still on the right. streets. Uh, a vast improvement for from where it was years ago. Um, was this just a matter? I mean, yeah, you had the data. Yeah, you had a different way of thinking. But was this also a matter of getting along with each other and talking, you know, right hand, meet left hand, city, well, meet county, meet nonprofits? Because it seems like in so many places, all of these entities are in competition with each other. You have nonprofits that are, you know, trying to stake out, you know, what their turf is. You have a city wanting to do one thing, a county wanting to do another. Was it just a matter of saying, hey, why are we all, you know, swimming against the the the, the current here? Why don't we, you know, I wish I, wish I would say it was just a matter. The collaboration, yeah. and it's collaboration every single day. That is, um, what is my job? My job is promote collaboration by any means necessary. What are the means necessary? The philanthropists in this city work with us. And I, we say, don't give money to the people who are working against the system. Give money to those who are working with the system. Hmm. And many of them have said, yes, we're there. But was it hard to get everybody to sort of, you know, march in the same direction and hold hands on this? Is it still hard to get people to is, do that? It is hard every day. It is still hard. Uh, we have a mayor's election coming in and we have a new mayor, a new mayor. And all of them are looking at other cities and other ways to do things and try to say, you know, make sure you listen to what we're doing, what we've done well. So could the uh, model fall apart here? I mean, is there a risk of that? So uh, let me in two things. You ask political will is very important. And I see that in the mayor of Dallas, he's really has political will to stay on this, to stay on this road. Mm. In Houston, Anise Parker and Sylvester Turney, Turner stayed on this. And that political will in Judge Hildago and Commissioner Garcia, Commissioner Ellis, Commissioner Briones that stayed on that um that focus. Um, and that's really important, political will. Philanthropic will and philanthropic leadership is important. Um, our, uh, the head of the Houston Endowment wrote an article that said, philanthropy shouldn't mask bad government. Hmm. And so the philanthropy has to step up and demand effective government. So the answer is yes. The answer is we still work have to work with our other nonprofits to make sure they get credit for their work. Publicly, I know you saw the New York Times article in Search, which is one of our great partners, had a lot of credit in there. Um, sadly, that Harris County and the Harris County uh, and the Harris and the Houston Housing Authority didn't get credit, and they should have. Hmm. So, getting credit for this good work is important, but it is the demand collaboration is important. 
Mm-hmm. And I will, and I will say this about Houston. Houston is good at collaboration. Houston is good at working together with philanthropy, government. As I told you, when I, before I had this position, I was the head of the Houston um, Parks Board that built out the bikeways in Houston, public-private partnership between the kinders uh, on the private side, the city and county on the public side, and got it done. Houston built the ship channel from the ocean, craziness, public-private partnership. Hmm. Um, I think Dallas has that too. I think they have all the tools in place to do this. It does take that political will, and it takes real leadership from the lead agency um, and from the nonprofits. They cannot just be off on their own saying, oh, it's only my program that works. They have to be willing to work in the system. Mike, Houston's uh, a little unique in in a lot of ways, but in this situation, because of of no zoning down there, where are these formerly homeless people physically going to get a roof over their head? Uh, no zoning certainly helpful in Houston for this situation, but um, I, I, you know, I, I think of NIMBY, not in my backyard, probably a lot of people who are concerned about that. Have you run into that, first of all? And secondly, you know, can this be replicated in cities like Dallas or San Antonio or Austin where zoning is pretty strict? Uh, I do not think zoning is the separation from us from other cities. But again, uh, what Houston has, what we, we, where we don't have zoning, is we have deed restrictions, so just I just want to put that at a in a in a little right. bit that that's I don't think that is issue, but I will say here is an issue. I believe Houston Harris County is a pro housing government, and it's been pro housing forever, and that means that we want housing, we want apartments. We're not fighting every time somebody wants to build an apartment building. So housing is good, and I'm I'm a and I'm. And I'm, whether it's affordable housing or expensive housing, I don't care. Housing is good. We need to keep working with that. So that would say that's a government thing that works well in Houston. And I think generally in Dallas, it has that too. Secondly, on this issue about where they live, 9,000 people tonight, 6,500 are in scattered sites. That's apartments all over Houston. They, they have to be, they have to meet the rent guidelines, which means that they're, you know, between 1000 and $1,200 a month. So it's not every apartment. And they have to be on public transportation, which in Houston is a bigger issue than Dallas. So those are the two things that you really have to do, but they're all over the county. And so, so you guys are finding these places for, for the folks to go to and, and, and paying these, the rent to get them under a roof, right? That's correct. Now, about 1,500 are in congregate sites, uh, New Hope Housing, and I, and I can't remember the agency in Dallas that does the same thing, is builds congregate affordable housing. And about 1,500 people in those sites. And, and again, we want to make sure everybody knows, it's the choice of the individual where they want to go. Mm. If an opening comes open at one of these congregate sites and they said, no, I really want to live mm. away from other people who've experienced homelessness, they get that choice. Mm. Um, I, I want to ask you about visitors here because uh, you, know, you all had visitors a dozen years ago in the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development, and they basically came in and said, this doesn't look good. Uh, you guys are going to have to be uh, designated a priority community, which is not a great thing. It says that you've got a big homeless problem. Now, here we are 12 years later. You've had this success. You're getting great headlines. I read that Dallas and Collin County uh, employed some architects uh, of the Houston approach as consultants for their 
air problems and they saw chronic homelessness fall by 32% over the past year. Is that correct? correct? It is correct. And, 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 and now you're getting visits, I would imagine from, from all kinds of cities who are trying to solve this problem. We've had visits from the mayor of Los Angeles, the mayor of Chicago, the mayor of Denver. Um, we have actually have a team going up to Anchorage. They said they wanted to pay some of us to go to Anchorage on the shortest day of the year, of course. Uh, <laughs> well, we said we said we'd be there. Um, uh, Seattle, Spokane, uh, other places. In in it's you know we tell them our stories. We talk to them about it. Let me let's talk about HUD. So the Housing and Urban Development is a much maligned agency, and and I also give them a hard time because it's so complex to spend their money yeah. and it's so highly policed um, and it is difficult. And the people who work for me who are the smartest are the ones who try to figure out how to brave this limited funding. Um, and that's amazing to me because it just looks impossible. So I give them a hard time. They do offer help hmm. and they have, um, they have uh, some technical assistance and we've worked with and we still work with regularly to say, how do we braid this money more efficiently? Hmm. How do you help us um, get this collaboration between the city and the county and the state? Have they and visited you all again and said, hey, can absolutely. we you know, hold y'all up as a national model? I mean- Well, they, yeah, they visit us, uh, Tayson, they visit us to help us. And they most recently, they looked at how we decommissioning the encampments, mm-hmm. these big encampments, and that is now a national model that they've taken in. Wow, um, and um, and it's a it's a great model because thirty seconds on that. Here's what we learned over the last five years of decommissioning encampments. When you decommission encampment, you have to act, offer everybody in that encampment housing. Mm. You cannot go to them and say we're going to give you housing in six weeks, six months. You have to say we're going to give it to you this day. And you're talking you about to- approaching a group of people under a bridge, perhaps living in boxes and under tents. Mm-hmm. And the success has been remarkable. I mean, that we the biggest one we've done is about eighty individuals who were living in tents, and again, ninety percent of them came with us to housing. Ten percent either went on their own or did something else. It's not, you know, again, pragmatism is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but that that's something that HUD looked at, and it's been a real success. Mm-hmm. It requires it requires a lot of work because you have to get all that housing set up. Before you do the decommission, mm. Mike, a couple last questions here for you. Besides the obvious of getting people off the street, um, what, what, zoom out for us a little bit. What's the bigger picture of, of doing this? What, how is it really helping the city on a, on a wider scale? Because it certainly is. Um, my goal in doing this, Jason, is I wanted to prove out that government could be a force of good even in the most difficult problems. And this could be a model for all of the problems, that these social problems. Um, and we could also find the issue. So that's really what it is. And, 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 and the bigger picture is forcing the county and city and philanthropy and nonprofits to work together to solve a problem. It's so important. And anytime you see this dysfunction, you're going to know it's an issue. So that's one is that good government is possible and money can be spent wisely and well to help people and you can do something that's morally responsible my granddaughter who lives in dallas calls me all the time to complain about why people are homeless 
my wife complains in Houston. That's when I say it's it's everywhere. But you can't complain. We can say, look, this is more expensive, more expensive to leave people on the street than it is to house people and, and, and just tell people when they talk about, oh, these folks who want to want to be homeless or these folks are not worth putting money in or I had to pay. You just got to push that away and say, what is physically and morally responsible? And when people start thinking like that, think we can change everything, hmm. everything. I mean, education. We know we know that spending money on education is the right thing to do. We all know that. We just need to do it, and then you can see what the savings will be. Politics always muddies up the water, though, as we as we all know here. Obviously, Mike, you guys are making a difference, but here's my last question for you. Uh, affordability in Texas, which we started this podcast with, is certainly a problem. It's got to be exacerbating this. So as you guys are plugging the dam on this side and, and having success in that, more people are moving to Texas. Rents are getting higher. Uh, you know, mortgages and interest rates are higher. Purchasing a house is higher. Is this ever going to balance out? Are you ever going to see the the net that we can get more people off the street? We're doing it and 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 reduce these numbers permanently. Uh, the answer is yes. The answer is I really think we can. Um, again, we have to build more housing. We have to be pro housing, which is important. We have to make permitting less expensive. Um, so the, all all those are the right answers because we in Texas believe in housing. I want us. I want that to be a mantra. I want that to be a mantra that we're that we're the state that houses people, both affordable and, and as you know, people come to Dallas and Houston, they want to, they feel like they can live so much better than they can in Los Angeles and San Francisco. That's accurate. Partly is our philosophy about housing. So that's one. Two is yes, th- those are issues. But if I could tell you the other issues, you know, we need to make sure we do a better job of when people leave prison, not to just put them on the street with nothing and change around them that they cannot get housing, they cannot get a job. I mean, that is ridiculous to expect people to come out of the prison system. We can do better. Yeah. We can do, and it would be less expensive. I'll keep saying it. Look, when you when you when we go to the legislature, ask them if you want to be really fiscally conservative. Do the smart things. Pay more for education. Make sure when people leave prison, they have jobs. And and ID cards don't just leave. My last, sense, oh, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. Unless it's healthcare, we want healthcare for everyone, but we want it to be spent wisely. Mm-hmm. And again, you have to focus on the social determinants of health, education, nutrition, housing. You have to do that. Mike, since Whiteley decided to close with two questions there, I always have to one-up him, and I'm going to do three. Um, uh, real quickly, COVID money. A lot of the funding that you guys have gotten from the federal government has been extra COVID relief money. What do you do when that dries up? And is that part of why you're trying to rattle the cages in the legislature uh, to try to get the state to start contributing more? Uh, the answer is, is it's very problematic. We let, Let's just make sure this is clear. The 9,000 people in housing, we have money to keep them in housing throughout this process once the COVID money is done and after that. We have a process in theory. Um, but the, the the real benefit of the work we've done, the landlord engagement, the outreach, we uh, the, uh, paying landlords to hold apartments, all that's been with COVID money. It is going away in the December hmm. 24, June of 25. I am very worried about that. Very worried. In Houston, where we don't have much local dollars, we need those local governments to come up with 
and it's in the what's the answer? About twenty twenty five million dollars a year, mm-hmm. big numbers, but nothing compared to just do the math. About three thousand times um, times forty to fifty thousand for keeping you on the yeah. street. It is a lot cheaper than that, a lot more beneficial than that. So that that does worry me. It is a big issue, um, and of grave concern. Um, and and I will again say. This healthcare issue is a really important one. We're watching CMS, uh, who oversees all the Medicare and Medicaid, start thinking more about social determinants of health. Um, but yes, we need to we need to do something. We need to do it quick, or we'll go backwards. And that's a that would be a sad. sad, uh, sad. Question number two out of three here. Uh, what's next for you? You're you're you've been in this job for four years now. You're leaving at the end of December. Uh, what what do you do next? What, how do you top this? I mean, this has got to be some of the most rewarding work of your life. It has been extremely rewarding and uh, uh, a little like I've retired four other times. I'm sure I'm sure I will fail again. I, I don't have a plan. Um, I do have a mission, and you hear the mission, which is to tell you tell the American people that done right, government can be a force of good. Mm. Um, done right, philanthropy can be a force of good. Um, we have 19,000 nonprofits in Harris County alone. We have to figure out how to organize those. So there's a lot that I could just keep working on. But it's been a wonderful, one of the things I'm very proud of and say as I lead is when I leave, I try to lead organizations, whether it's Cisco, Russia Supply, Parks Board or the coalition in a sustainable position, and that's where we've left. So I'm very proud of that. Last thing I want to ask you here, since you know we have cities uh, all over this state where people listen to this podcast, uh, a lot of them still grappling very much with the problem of homelessness. Austin and Dallas certainly spring to mind here. Um, what have you learned in these years that you've been doing this about homeless people? that surprised you or that you didn't know what, what, what are we missing? What do the rest of us not get about homeless people that you've learned? Jason, I am not an expert in people experiencing homelessness because they're as diverse as everybody else. you know. So all I can say is my expertise is, is finding dollars and services to help people experiencing homelessness have a roof over their head, a real roof key and a lock and a lease in their name so they can be accountable and they will succeed. I am not an expert in people experiencing homelessness. And that is acceptance that I have. And the second part is, again, it's a 85%, 90% success, 10%. We have to do something different. And when people want to point to that 10% and say, what about him or him or him or her? All I can say is, if we do, if we're successful with eighty to ninety percent, then we can find out what to do with those last ten percent, and it is much more difficult. But it is that's the pragmatism. The answer of homeless individuals, people experiencing homelessness, is that they are not. They are. I don't have any expertise. I, I just want to say that the, the a lot of writers and editorial writers would focus on one person. The best, the best art I've ever seen on this was an opera produced by the Houston Grand Opera called Another City about homelessness. And it showed the great variety of people experiencing homelessness. But it also showed the system 
the system of getting people housed. And I wish everybody could see that piece of art, that opera. Um, but when people want to say they're experts and folks who are homeless, I don't see it. I don't see it. I'll, and I'm certainly not. I'm a business guy. My, my goal is to put roofs over people's heads. And I wish Mike, government would see this. Yeah, it does take a team, and congratulations to you and your team because you have been finding the dollars and the doors to put these folks in, so that is huge. And then the national recognition, and on top of that, getting Dallas to follow Houston's lead on something, man, that that's that's huge. Well, when it started back in 2012, we looked at Dallas, and they helped us. Yeah? So, Jay, it helped you figure out what me, not to do or what? I didn't know what to do. And believe okay. me, as, as we looked, and I, I will bet you this, as we look toward post-COVID money, Dallas will be there to help us learn about how to do it. Hmm. So I'm 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 a proponent of learning from other people. I love the competition between Dallas and Houston. It's part of it's part of who I am, and uh, love every second of it. But the reality is, we are partner cities. Yeah. We we're different as can be, but we also have one thing in common. We are pragmatic. Both cities are highly pragmatic, and we will learn from Dallas about how to fund this post-COVID. That's mm. what I think is going to happen. Mike, congratulations on on your uh, successes here and the team's successes. Uh, Mike Nichols, CEO for the Coalition uh, for the Homeless for Harris County, Fort Bend Montgomery County, Montgomery County, County. Fort Bend County. A wide, uh, a wide swath down there. Really appreciate your time and, and all that you're doing down there uh, for the homeless population. It's my honor to be with you, and uh, and again, love Dallas and think they will continue to have the success that they've had, and we will learn from each other. Congrats on the results, and uh, congrats on your fourth retirement. We'll see how it goes or if we end up doing an interview with you about something else. Thank you, sir. Click subscribe and get Yolitics every week. Eolitics, the unofficial political podcast of Texas.